the valuation is kind of uh, driven by sex appeal and mm-hmm. you know how the story that you've created what is it you've created if there's a trajectory to your sales if there's a trajectory to your rise of uh, you know global domination whatever it is writing that story and and catapulting that story out makes you a better multiple welcome to the before you buy or sell a business podcast where we help buyers and sellers learn more about the acquisition process discuss recent transactions and stay up to date on the latest news in the market here's your host jared johnson all right today i'm really excited i have john hannum from pps solutions how are you doing today i'm doing great jared how you doing i'm doing awesome um you know maybe i'll just kind of let everybody know how we met each other. Um, your firm was working with one of our clients that did a partner buyout. Uh, got a little messy. Uh, you were brought in to help with uh, numerous things that I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of cover as, as we go through. But uh, you were definitely a key part of us being able to get that deal done. It was a, a larger transaction that um, you know kind of needed a little bit of help. And one of the biggest things that that we liked was that your firm was involved and and you knew what you were doing. You're able to answer the right questions, keep the business on track. So I thought it'd be great to have you come on today, and we'll kind of pick your brain and and see what buyers and sellers can learn from you. That's great. Thank you so much. No problem. So let's uh, let's dive into your background. Let's talk about you know where you grew up, college, education, all that fun stuff. Sure. I came from Florida. Uh, my dad actually is an alligator trapper, so it's true um, about <laughs> Florida. You know, having some stereotypes. Uh, spent uh, about 17 years in the tire industry. I started with a, a small independent uh, tire retailer called Tire Kingdom, uh, you know, with a, a founder who actually wore the cape and crown on TV. as kind of a, a local celebrity. Um, we had one sales tax return, had not left the state of Florida when I joined the team. And 17 years later, I left the largest independent tire retailer in North America with uh, manufacturing in three continents and pretty exciting $2.8 billion business. Whoa. So. Over those 17 years, I got to, to have a good taste of growth and operations and excitement. And I started there as a staff accountant and left as a controller for the retail division, which was about a thousand stores and still working on some more. I uh, did a ton of M&A work during that time as well. If um, our president played golf with anybody, we bought their tire store or chain of tire stores. So <laughs> at some points we had to just ask him to stop playing golf. But uh, wow. it was really an exciting 17 years. And uh, so that set the the basis for my um, kind of career and trajectory. I, I like working in, in fast-paced environments and doing interesting things. Um, you know, came out and worked in the hardware industry with a company called HD Supply uh, for a little bit. I ended up selling my division to Home Depot and doing some M&A work there. Uh, and then, you know, taking uh, some smaller roles in smaller companies, but never anything really below that, uh, you know, 50 to $100 million mark. Um, my last corporate stint was in construction took a, a regional um, subcontractor for flooring and cabinets and countertops. I was the CFO for that company, and we took it from about 200 million to 400 million, one state to 14 states, and uh, really high growth. Took it public during the same time. Uh, so pretty exciting. I like exciting environments. And ultimately in 2020, uh, when I left that, that uh, publicly traded at that time construction company, started having no reason to say no to friends who asked me to, to do smaller things and realized that, that uh, smaller companies really don't have that power, that, that financial firepower of a CFO and a finance department to make good decisions. So set out to start my company, PPS Solutions, to really solve that. And so now we offer uh, fractional CFO services and uh, you know, other interim services, et cetera, some accounting and finance along with that. But uh, 
you know, really we, we try and be financial partners to small and growing business, somebody that wants to do something interesting. Yeah, I mean, I kind of don't know where to start on that. <laughs> that was that was a, a mouthful. That was that was interesting. So, the tire company did they go public? Uh, the tire company became. Uh, we were actually purchased by a publicly a public entity uh, from Memphis um, in the transaction. We, we were about uh, almost a billion dollars at the time, and they were uh, you know, about half a billion dollars. They were a little bit smaller. Uh, they took us on, and the company liked our finance team a little better than their finance team, so they added their CFO and brought us up to the parent, ultimately relocating to Florida and, and wow. uh, you know, making one cohesive entity rather than a kind of a retail division and a, a wholesale division. Yeah, it was very, very interesting. I mean, even kind of dropped in the uh, alligator trapper in the in the middle of there. So I'm sure we could probably do a full podcast episode about that. And I don't know. I'm sure you've got some some crazy stories, or at least your dad does. So it's pretty interesting. So um, maybe kind of you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, um, obviously do fractional CFO, but for somebody that maybe doesn't understand what that means, maybe tell us uh, kind of break it down what you do when you when you go into a company or what are the, the main services that you provide? Sure. So we, um, and I've always uh, kind of focused on, on the CFO as, as the chief financial person, the kind of the, the represents the finance function at the executive table within a larger organization. What I saw in the financial, in the fractional CFO uh, space really are a bunch of CPAs that kind of do that as a service. They, they have their financial acumen and they can add that. The focus that I have is really uh, shifting, having an operational CFO, but available part-time. Uh, mm -hmm. So somebody that's actually run companies, you know, made operational decisions, been part of the executive leadership team, and and now wants to kind of give that expertise to smaller companies. It's a little bit different than than what uh, your CPA or your uh, you know outsourced CFO is is usually doing. Uh, it's a little bit of a differentiator for PPS. Um, we really, in my opinion, are a, a financial partner. So we might do the books and keep the books clean, but you know I want to operate as far away from the decimal place as possible. Make good decisions. You know, talk about investment strategy, talk about uh, budgets and cash flow forecasts, things that really matter to to the organization, not you know the tax return or or just getting the books in order for the the annual meeting or you know helping them really navigate everything that goes with running a business. Yeah, makes sense. So I think probably one of the biggest things that that I've seen over you know the last 15, 20 years has been most business owners are really good at whatever the company does. and then, they're not good at the finance side or maybe they're good at the finance side and they're not completely good at another part of it so it's almost like you're kind of coming in and and taking them to that next level um, because you're able to provide you know real advice and and you know knowledge and expertise that somebody else probably you know hasn't been able to to train them on so right and i think that's a, an interesting observation on entrepreneurs because they do try and do everything mm -hmm. right it's uh you got to run the whole. You got to you know, wash the dishes and do the accounting and and uh, run the sales and find the leads and do all the things. When really there are partners that you can use for all of that. I mean, we we think of it with lawyers, for example. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't try and do your own law, right? Because you have a specialist out there that's available for you, and they might be expensive, but you can still go and get them to do this stuff for you that that's important, and they become a legal partner. I kind of view us as the same the same idea. Certainly a lot less expensive than, than lawyers, but trying to provide that service so that you don't have to worry about that, uh, 
and you have a partner that can handle the the financial side of things. Yeah, that makes sense. So, okay, so we'll get into a couple questions that um, I think most of our listeners will probably have. The first one would be, uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen that business owners make? So in the businesses that I've encountered, which we've acquired a number of, of tire companies and construction companies, et cetera, uh, you know, that, that uh, are a little bit messy, uh, it's just really not having that partnership to begin with. So if you approach a transaction in a messy format, you're automatically going to not have the valuation that you want because you can't even explain what your books are, what your business does in a clear and cohesive manner. So, you know, I would say, uh, that mistake is not putting a, a fractional CFO in earlier, <laughs> of course. Right. But um, you know, really, it's just about keeping things clean and, and organized. Uh, the trajectory of valuation, in my opinion, uh, starts as early as, as possible. You could have a little slice of fractional CFO at the very beginning of a business, and it would make sense. I think you're going to have a much better outcome uh, with that business, whether you choose to sell it in, in one or ten years or whether you choose to keep it forever and give it to your children. Uh, you're going to have a better outcome by having that strategic partner. So I would say that's the biggest mistake I see. Okay. Thinking about what you do when you come in and you're seeing people make those mistakes, what's some of the, the things that you would do right away when you when you come into a company like that to try to help kind of alleviate some of those mistakes? Sure. I mean, the, the basis of finance is about using your information to make good decisions. So uh, the first thing I would always do is is look at the information you're getting and see if it's clean. You, you can't make uh, you know good financial decisions with bad accounting information. So cleaning up the accounting, looking at your um, uh, at your accrual accounting and making sure that all your entries are in, making sure we're not just looking at the books for the the annual tax return is key. And then uh, you can start using that that data. Uh, you can start doing some modeling and forecasting to decide if your business did X last year, you can do Y next year. And if you add, you know, some some inputs, you can actually change that trajectory and increase sales, decrease expense, whatever those those right things are. But it has to start with the basis of accounting. Yeah, people probably have their mind blown when they <laughs> once you really get in there and they go, "Oh, I didn't realize this was my real margin," or "This mm -hmm. is," you know, I'm sure you've probably uncovered lots of different things um, by by kind of peeling back that onion that a lot of business owners didn't even know about. Yeah. And it's, some of it just comes from accounting matching, you know, the idea that revenue and, and cost of goods or costs match by period. So, you know, whenever the, the uh, credit card bill hits this, the, the uh, statements, then it, there's an expense. Whenever the, the collections come in, there's a, there's a plus. Really by looking at that and matching it up, uh, making sure that we could look at true margin for the month, you know, making the proper closing entries is, is key. And, you know, we are a CPA firm. I don't necessarily advertise it all the time. I'm a CPA and we, we officially are a CPA firm. But, um, you know, our, our business starts with the books and then goes on from there by really providing that uh, insight into the numbers rather than just the numbers. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> it, it's always surprising to me when I'm talking to somebody and I say, hey, I need your year-to-date P&L and balance sheet. And they kind of look at me funny, like, well, what do you mean? Like my accountant does that at the end of the year and do taxes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, how do you know, like how you're doing? Oh, well, I have money. And I'm sure you've, you've dealt with that over the years, but, um, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see that so many business owners kind of fly by the seat of their pants and they just look at how much cash they have in the bank. Um, and say, Hey, I'm, I must be making money. I must be okay. So 
sure you, you've seen so many different interesting things over the years. Well, and it is interesting because, you know, the same people that do that will say, do I have enough money for X, Y, or Z, right? Can I hire right. somebody? Can I invest in a machine? Can I do something different for my business? And the answer is sure. But, you know, what, what does it cause? What, what does that do to the rest right. of your P&L? So you start with the, you know, your good books and you, you make a forecast of what it's going to look like tomorrow, including a cash flow forecast. Uh, you know, you would see what the effect of, of those uh, investments are in people or in, in equipment, et cetera, and what you expect to receive from that in cost and, and revenue. And just look across that line at the bottom and say, is cash still positive? If yes, then, you know, you can positively answer. Yeah, you're probably going to have some cash. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not only helping them with the accounting, but it's it's also helping with the strategy mm-hmm. and then making sure that the decisions they're making that day, how they're going to affect it six months, 12 months, 18 months down the road, um, and and giving them that actual picture that they probably need to see that maybe is in their head and might be accurate, but they don't really know because they don't have the right data to look at. And so, you know, having a budget, having a forecast is the first part of that, and then measuring against that forecast is the second part. So sure, you can have, you can invest your $100,000 in your magic machine and it's supposed to produce a million dollars in revenue. And, you know, we have to actually check that and make sure that that million dollars actually comes in so we can, you know, clearly articulate what the uh, uh, what the expectation was and that we met it. Yeah. We, you know, over budget, under budget. Makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's an important thing to discuss every month, not just once a year. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, are you seeing any any kind of new trends in like small to medium businesses right now? Um, you know, obviously the, the work from home thing kind of has come and gone and some has been semi-permanent. We have AI. Is there something that maybe you're seeing that people need to be be aware of and, and try to focus on? Well, I think every every business is different too. And I've seen work from home uh, be really successful. And then, you know, sometimes it's, it's better to come back in the office. Um, you know, there's a lot of trends in insurance right now. Insurance is going through the roof. I've got some uh, contractors where workers' comp is kind of doubling, tripling, quadrupling. It's it's frightening. So, you know, there's just a lot of, of um, uh, uncertainty around how to conduct business, and there's no one answer to do that. So, you know, when I look, uh, when I work with business owners to make those decisions and understand what the trends are, and it might be different by, uh, uh, by industry and, and by business even, you know, we have to look at it in, in that microcosm of, of the company and the industry to see, you know, is there a trend we need to capitalize on? Uh, tire industry, for example, is counter-cyclical. When the economy is terrible, tire companies do very well. Uh, people invest in their cars. So, um, you know, turned down in 2008 was fantastic for the tire industry. So mm-hmm. looking at things within that, that uh, context of industry and, and, you know, what the individual company should do to invest at the time really to me is key. Okay. Yeah. Some great advice. So we'll, we'll kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, if a business was, uh, thinking of exiting, whether they're selling or maybe, maybe we'll back up a little further. What have you seen over, you know, the last 20 years of, of doing this, um, as far as people exiting, um, are people aware of, of kind of their plan? Um, you know, are they just assuming they're going to sell? Or are they going to, you know, give the business to somebody else? Like, what are you kind of seeing with that? Are, are people even planning for that? I mean, every business I think does plan for that. And of course, you know, unless you have children that you hope will run your business someday, uh, you know, your your business is an asset. You shouldn't shut it down. 
Right. Um, I even talked to a CPA recently that, you know, that really didn't think about selling his firm, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. you know, here's a financial person who, who didn't think about the value of the one asset, even though it had made good, good money for him for 50 years. Yeah. He didn't think, oh, I'll sell the portfolio. So, you know, it, it happens to all of us. But your business is your biggest asset, so you want to make sure that you cultivate that value and do whatever it is that that's uh, that's going to be best for you at the end of it. I've seen people do all kinds of things, but the the, the shame that happens is when that business sells for less than it should because mm -hmm. it's messy because you haven't had that uh, that help during the time that you've owned the business. You know, obviously, my advice would be to put in uh, a fractional CFO or whatever slice of CFO you would need the um, as early as possible and make sure that, you know, that, that all the levers of valuation get pulled, you know, increase sales, decrease expense, and really think about what you're investing in, what assets are in the business to make it more attractive and, and exciting for sale, um, as early as possible. So, you know, to me, every business needs a little bit of CFO, probably the, the corner store doesn't need a full-time CFO, but the person that wants to have 20 corner stores by the time they sell their their empire uh, should should be talking to one before they leave store one that makes sense yeah that's some great advice if somebody contacted you and said hey i want to sell in the next three to five years um and they never had any kind of cfo they've been doing the books um you know maybe they're doing three or four million dollars in revenue what's kind of like the first thing that you would do coming in there so you have to make a roadmap, and obviously there's a lot of templates for for sale. You, know, you can find them online. Uh, I'm sure that you you have other um, uh, other groups that, that can can give some uh, idea of that. But every company is a little different, so we would make a roadmap for that sale. Okay. Um, and if it's three to five years out, the annual budgeting process to me is is key to that because you got three of those left to go. Mm. So if you can accomplish your goals in the first year of that three year period. You're a third of the way on, on getting to that valuation. What you don't want to do is set a, a, a three-year set of goals and then start accomplishing them in the last six months before valuation. You're going to have a much better time of getting your, your ducks in a row from either a financial perspective, a control environment perspective, you know, whatever it is you need to get your, your business pretty uh, to the outside world can happen within that three years rather than at the end of that three years. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, obviously, uh, most people would kind of understand that uh, companies with cleaner books that have systems in place um, sell for you know much higher multiples, and then also just frankly sell. Um, some of them, you know, they people they're not able to sell their business because they weren't operating it from a financial standpoint accurately. They were you know trying to you know limit their taxes or you know they just didn't have the right stuff in place. Um, one thing that I know um, people really look for when they're buying a business, especially at a certain dollar amount, you know, you know, three three million plus, is usually do they have people in place uh, that are doing specific duties so that they can come in and focus on whatever they're good with, or kind of keep a, keep an eye on like the overall you know look. So, being that you're a fractional CFO. Um, I know sometimes uh, the perception is that you're coming in and you're cleaning something up and then you're gone. Um, is that true? I would like to say no. I would okay. like to say the, that that is sometimes the case, but it should not be, right? Okay. We're a strategic partner that can help in all the phases. So, you know, the beginning phase of, of that might look like accounting cleanup. It might look like, um, you know, trimming expenses, looking at, at you know, low-hanging fruit. Year two, year three, year 20, uh, there's still stuff that, that a CFO can do 
for any business. Otherwise, you know, you, you, larger businesses would only have CFO for a year as well. Right? There's stuff you can do throughout that tenure to make sure that we're actually kind of pushing into uh, operations, understanding the, the levers, just really making the business as best as it can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, question, if, can you give three major things that you would say someone should focus on to maximize the value of the business? Uh, to maximize the value of the business for sale, uh, really, I think that the number one is that the business can't be about you or, or your personality, right? Having that financial person obviously distances you from, from that as well, which creates a buffer and it, it creates a, an air of legitimacy and, and kind of, you know, enterprise to it that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, most of our CFOs operate with, um, uh, with, uh, internal emails. So, you know, you may not even know that, that your CFO is fractional. It just oh, seems okay. like you have a CFO. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, creating that distance, creating an organization to where it looks like an organization is mm-hmm. key. Um, you know, the more your business relies on you to be there, the less somebody else is going to pay for it. Um, you know, secondarily in, in that uh, uh, sale process, making a good SIM, having some kind of story to the business, your CFO can help you write that story. Um, you know, Valuation's fairly simple. It's a, a number times another number equals a bigger number. And, you know, when we get down to it, though, the multiplier that you're going to use, you know, is a little bit different by industry. It's a little bit different by company. Mm-hmm. And I think my personal opinion is the um, that valuation is kind of uh, driven by sex appeal and, mm-hmm. you know, how the story that you've created, what is it you've created? If there's a trajectory to your sales, if there's a trajectory to your rise of, uh, you know, global domination, whatever it is, writing that story and, and catapulting that story out makes you a better multiple in the end. So having a good story and helping having somebody financial help you write that story is great. Um, you know, and then the third, I think, would just be selling it at a wrong time, right? Mm. Uh, you might um, have a timeline for yourself. You might have a timeline, you know, for, for the business that, that – uh, that you think of 10 years in the, in the past, um, it may not be that time when that 10 years rolls around. So kind of gauging things, figuring out the right time, uh, it's with a life science company that did stuff for, for COVID and 2020 was the great time to sell that because sales had skyrocketed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the valuation was totally different and you know, who knows, who knows what the, um, the future of that held. So in the end it was the right time for the, for that person to sell. And she made a good amount of money. Yeah. So sometimes you may have a three-year roadmap, but then you get to the end of year three and you say, you know, maybe maybe it's not the right time in the economy, or you maybe you still got a little bit of work to do, right? Um, you know, some people might turn around and decide they don't want to sell, right, at that point. So it could circumstances do change. So mm-hmm. it, it's important to roll with those those uh, changes. Yeah, definitely. So um, shifting gears just a little bit, uh, you know, there's. There's always uh, this conversation that people have about cash sales or um, creative addbacks. Um, when you come into a company, I would assume that you might have to deal with that from time to time, um, where you know somebody might be using the company, uh, you know, financially, you know, in in an illegal way, or or you know, essentially committing tax fraud. Um, what what's kind of your advice to to business owners? Um, that are maybe doing that or thinking about doing it. Um, maybe it was just how they were taught to do things. Um, you know, kind of maybe expand on that a little bit for us. Sure. I'll start with the 
at the beginning here, part of what um, uh, what our firms does when we look at a client is to understand the integrity level and only work with people that truly do have integrity. I mean, people that that commit tax fraud might have made a mistake, or you know, they might be consciously you know just trying to pay less in taxes and don't realize the severity of that. But um, you know, when we find that, really, it's about educating the the, the uh, entrepreneur on what they're doing. Uh, we won't take the engagement if, if they want to continue that. Uh, you know, we we say, here's the rules, and, and we're gonna here's how we're gonna do it in the future. But um, you know, ad backs and, and kind of creative uh, accounting outside of you know putting that on the tax return is as long as we document it and we we explain it and we put it out there into the world. Um, you know, there are reasons that banks or you know obviously you can attest. Yeah. <laughs> there are reasons that somebody might look at something as an ad back even if it's not you know, illegal uh, mm-hmm. uh, from a tax perspective. You might have, um, you know, some legal expenses that are not considered to, to recur or some some other types of expenses where we can say, you know, let's not consider that for valuation purposes because it really isn't germane to the value of the business or it's a, it's the timing is is not uh, appropriate, et cetera. Um, you know, and that's, the, that's where we get to be creative and, and, you know, talk to the bank about what those are and I think you can have a more intelligent conversation about those things when you have a CFO than trying to do that yourself. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, and then and that's kind of a, a pretty big topic with with a lot of the business brokers um, when they're when they're trying to sell the business and kind of saying, well, here's uh, I was I was talking to somebody last night about it. They said there's about three hundred thousand a year in cash sales that they're trying to use to calculate, you know, the seller's discretionary earnings and. And to kind of just flat out tell them like, no, it doesn't work. If you want to do a seller carry note that's tied to that, that is forgivable. Um, if that, you know, doesn't really come through and you want to go in and actually run the business the right way, that's fine. But I I just kind of don't have, uh, you know, much grace for it. And I, I get pretty frustrated when people are kind of trying to have it both ways. So I'm glad you can shine a little bit of a light on that. Um, if somebody said... Uh, you know, something happened, right? Uh, I'm sure, uh, I would assume you, you've come in before because the owner's no longer there or there was some kind of, you know, accident or, or something. Um, and somebody said, hey, I need to just, I need to try to get this quickly put together and sell. What what would you focus on if you came into a company like that? Uh, so there kind of emergency sale or, or mm-hmm. something like that. I would say, you know, we focus on the books, right? You start with the books. Everything starts with good accounting. So how are the books? What's going on with it? Um, and then just make a, a plan based on the individual uh, scenarios. You know, if there's a cash flow crunch, we might need to get we might need to get some type of financing in place to just make sure the business can actually get to sale. Uh, you know, if it's truly a fire sale, we, you know, we would engage um, you know whatever resources we would need, the right kind of brokers in the right kind of places to 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 get it out, get get the uh, sim out early, and uh, you know create a kind of an auction scenario very quickly. Um, the, I think the the leverage in that is that we should try and slow that down as much as possible, mm-hmm. right? You want, you always want to have as much planning time as possible, and a fire sale doesn't necessarily, yeah, you yeah, know, unfortunately, not the yeah. best. But you know, trying to extend that that time frame and just get it out as much as possible so you can actually pull any of the levers that you can would be key. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. And then as far as a, if a buyer um, was looking to buy a business, they're thinking about it, um, trying to kind of look at a listing or look at a business for sale, what are some of the things that you would advise them to look at? Definitely uh, 
their own expertise, I think, would be the number one, right? If you're if you if you're a CPA, you should probably buy a CPA firm. If you're in manufacturing, you should probably make something. Um, you know, do what you know, and 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 you'll probably be a bit more successful at it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of places, a lot of people out there, kind of looking at at websites to do uh, uh, small businesses and franchises. There's a lot of options. So I would say having somebody in your corner that's not just a business broker, like a fractional CFO, mm -hmm. would be really good. Um, you know, when you see those listings and you give a call to the people at the other end of the listing, you know, their job is to try and get you to buy that company for the the most money. So right. having somebody on your side that helps you understand that, not necessarily just a broker, because their job is also to sell something, but, you know, somebody independent, looking at the transaction, doing the due diligence, uh, I think is key. So however you get that service, I think it's it's important to to kick the tires, so to speak, on uh, on an acquisition. Yeah, and does your firm provide that service? We do. I mean, I like to roll that into the the CFO, the fractional CFO service. So uh -huh. depending on the business that you're going to buy, my opinion is that you might need some recurring help uh, running that business over the next one to 100 years. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's kind of a fine line between looking at it and saying, hey, this, this company's financials are a mess and looking at it and saying, if you get it for the right price uh, and I'll come in and help you, then, hey, you, you might be able to create value there, right? Well, so the, the value that I'd like to provide to any entrepreneur is to keep their books high and, and pretty and, and nice so that they can get that valuation at the end. Uh, but also, you know, a set of messy books might not be desirable on something you're going to buy, but it, it could lead to an opportunistic price. So, you know, you could actually get a bargain because that thing's a mess and you can clean it up. It's like a fixer-upper house. Yeah. You're going to get a better price on it, but... But you also you, have to be able to want to fix yeah, up the house. You're going, to need a good con <laughs> you're going to need a good contractor afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and it probably goes back to your first comment of stay, kind of stay in your lane of what, what you know and what you're good at. If you, if you can look at a company and you know, hey, I can operate this business, they do have top line revenue, um, but maybe their financials aren't in a good spot or maybe, you know, organizationally they're not, you know, super clean. Then it makes a little more sense to buy, bring somebody in and help and clean it up compared to, somebody going completely out of their realm of, of what they have experience in. And then also on top of that, having, you know, books that aren't that great. So, and it probably lends itself to a second business as well. So if you run a, if you run a business within a, a certain space and you're good at that and your books are clean and, and you know how to do that and you've got this admin support for that business, you know, buying a second business in that, in that space, that's a little messy. It's probably great because you can collapse that business into your first and really create something, you know, that, that you couldn't grow as easily. Yeah, makes sense. So, you know, I think this has been some exceptional uh, advice and, and uh, information. So I always ask two questions at the end. So your first question would be, uh, do you have a mentor or have you ever had a mentor? I've had a lot of mentors. I mean, my uh, uh, first CFO at, at Tire Kingdom when uh, from Goldman Sachs, who we were owned by Goldman Sachs, Weisbeck and Greer. And, um, uh, you know, he really taught me about, about, uh, kind of writing things down and, and making things very easy to understand. You know, he did a lot of acquisition work. He could put a deal on a, on a piece of eight and a half by 11 paper, and it would happen exactly like he said. The term wow. sheet would be exactly uh, that in the end. You know, he, he um, allowed me, even as an accounting manager within that company, to be part of the deal teams and help with the, the, uh, the purchases of different uh, tire stores. So um, that was really a benefit early in my career. His name was Tom Garvey. And... Uh, yeah, it's been 
I try and learn something from from everybody as I go through. Uh, some people teach you uh, directly, you know, by their observation. Some te- people teach you what not to do. But um, yeah, try and learn from from everybody I come in contact with. Yeah, makes sense. That's some good advice. Um, and then last question: What motivates you? I, to me, I have a new motivation. It used to motivate me to to make businesses much much bigger. You know, and the, I love the the term billion. And just as a, a number, I. I gravitated towards, um, but now really it's it's about uh, vision and it's about helping people to accomplish that vision. So, you know, two people that run almost identical businesses might have two different trajectories or two two different uh, visions of what they want their company to be. I get to make a spreadsheet that helps them accomplish that, and to me that's that's pretty exciting because we can uh, map out the course to achieve that vision. So, mm-hmm. wow, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. So it changed over the years, I guess. It I mean, is. you've you've accomplished the other one, so you know maybe maybe it was time for a new challenge. It's probably maybe. a little, almost a little bit more difficult, right, doing the smaller ones. But it is, but it's much more necessary. And yeah. uh, part of that is education as well. Most people don't know that they they need a fractional CFO, want a fractional CFO. They have no idea what that is. I have never received a call from a business owner that says, "I was just thinking I needed a fractional CFO, so I thought I'd call you." It's really about education. Yeah, you know when uh, when they talk to the bank and they can't get uh, a loan, when they talk to a recruiter and they're they're on their sixth accountant who reports to the president of the company, um, you know when they talk to their insurance agent but but can't really get the right coverage and risk mitigation, uh, you know those are all people that help me educate those businesses. Hey, you need you need some financial resource. Why don't right. you why don't you look into fractional CFOs? Yeah, exactly. So where can people find you? Uh, www.ppsfinance.com. That's PPS as in People Process Systems. And my email is john at ppsfinance.com. All right, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this podcast informative and helpful. Please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. For more information, or if you'd like to discuss a transaction, please go to www.jarrettwjohnson.com.